0: Welcome to The Morning Huddle, where business, healthcare, and lifestyle meet. This platform is designed to educate and equip business-minded training healthcare professionals to become the leaders in an evolving healthcare landscape. We are your hosts, Dr. Jermaine Effetti. And student
1: Dr. Kamal Smith. Today we'll be speaking with Dr. Damon Ross, pediatric dentist located in the San Antonio, Texas area. Dr. Ross will be discussing his journey and touching on topics including specializing in pediatrics, Finding your niche within dentistry and building a practice from scratch.
0: Uh, we have a fantastic interview today. Uh, we have a low key SNDA celebrity on the low. I'm here. Uh, Dr. Damon Ross, thank you for joining us
2: today. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right,
1: so just to start with some introductions, I want to let our guest um, introduce himself and um, just tell us a little bit about his background.
2: All right. Well, first of all, I'm Damon Ross, Uh, born and raised in Flint, Michigan. Before the water got real bad, even though we know the water is always bad, probably. But um, went to Tennessee State for undergrad, played basketball there and then went on to University of North Carolina where I did my dental school training. And from there, came to San Antonio where I'm currently at for my pediatric residency. And two weeks after finishing residency, I opened my practice, my first practice. Five years after that, I opened my second practice. Uh, Almost five years after that, I sold my first practice after I got married and had kids. Uh, Now I'm down to one practice and loving life.
1: I like it. When did you make that decision to become a pediatric dentist and uh, what led you to make that decision?
2: My story of becoming a dentist just in general is kind of funny. It's like I was at Tennessee State playing basketball. I took. um, The summer came around and I was supposed to stay there and train. Um, But that year I decided to take off. And, uh, you know, my sophomore year, I decided not to play ball anymore. I didn't really like the coach or whatever. had some differences. Um, I wasn't on scholarship for basketball. I was on scholarship for academics. Um, So I decided to take off a year from playing and hope that we got a new coach eventually, which we did. But during that year off, that summer, I stayed in uh, Nashville, and a modeling agency picked me up. And they just wanted all my money. That's all they really wanted. Try to give me, pay all this money to do this and do that. So I stayed, you know, a week. And then the agent was like, you know, I can get you a job with this dentist or whatever. So I was like, all right, I got to have some kind of way of making money to stay here over the summer. So I stayed. He hooked me up with with Dr. Kim Smiley. Mm -hmm. And um, she's a pediatric dentist. So I started working with her. Over the summer, I was like, you know what? This is something I think I want to do in the future, you know, with my life. Uh, if things don't work out with basketball. And uh, sure enough, became a dentist. Dennis. That's, she was my inspiration. She was a pediatric dentist. I was like, you know, I, I got my parents. Both were teachers. So I guess, you know, working with kids is just in my blood. Yeah. And I wanted to be a doctor. Didn't know what kind of doctor until I started working with her. And that's when I decided, you know, let's do it.
1: Nice. So did you decide to become a dentist and then a pediatric dentist or you knew the entire time um, through, I want to be a pediatric dentist?
2: I didn't even know I wanted to be a dentist. It's crazy because when I was young, I was like, I'll never be a dentist. I don't want kids to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, I started working with her and I was like, man, I want to be a doctor. And my dad was like, you know, as a as a dentist, you don't have to be on call like doctors do. I was like, you know what, that's, that's true, you know, even though we still still on call, but not like not like the doctors where you got to go to the hospital or anything like that. So when I started working with her, I was like, you know, this I think this is what I need to be doing, you know, be a dentist and work with, with kids still. So that's what I did.
1: Nice. Did you um, start taking the prereqs um, like two years into your college experience? Uh, how did that work out?
2: You know, my first semester, I went, I started off at engineering. Okay. I wanted to be a doctor, but then started talking about biology and all that. I was like, I don't like this science stuff. I hate it, you know, but um, I went into engineering for that first semester and playing basketball and engineering. Engineering was taking all my time and I was like, this this, is not going to work. So I decided to after that first uh, semester, I went ahead took my chances with biology and started going back towards being a doctor. Mm. And that's, um, that's, so I was kind of behind. I never did graduate. I ended up uh, just finishing the classes I needed that were required for dental school, took the test, passed and got accepted.
1: Okay. That's definitely a unique um, journey. I know Jermaine's going to talk about it um, a little bit later with US NDA. Um, but what, what led you to start that when you were um, in undergrad?
2: Well, I had the idea in undergrad. because my senior year. Because my senior year, I tore my ACL playing basketball. Because I did play my third year. And then I went, I was going to play my senior year, but I tore my ACL. And I was just in Nashville, <clears throat> walking around on crutches after surgery. And um, this dentist came up to me. I was like, what's that? I had a shirt on it said, um, undergraduate student national dental association she was like what is that and I was like this is our undergraduate you know organization at Tennessee State and then she was like no I'm gonna have to talk to the NDA about this because we can't have people just walk around acting like they're part of our organization and I was like what like she really came hard <laughs> she really came hard like I'm on crutches just sweating like she's asking these questions and I'm like okay this isn't cool like when I get a chance, I'm going to go to dental school and I'm going to make sure this happens because we need more people being on the, you know, the positive side, trying to get our, our people to become dentists, not, not have you frustrated and like, no, forget this. I'm not going to do this, you know, so I was like, let's make a difference. I'm going to go ahead and do what I got to do to make this happen. So once we got into dental school, it was, it was a wrap. And that- you bring
0: up a really good point, And that's something that we really have been suffering with um, as time that I've experienced while in dental school. I feel like we have too many gatekeepers and not enough mentors, especially when it comes to minority leadership within dentistry. So let me ask you this, during your time at UNC, what kind of mentorship opportunities did you get to experience transitioning from just an undergrad student to actually becoming a dental student and
2: the path throughout? Well, coming from a black college, going to a predominantly white college, Man, it was it was a transition, all right. You know, I used to talk all kinds of ways, different, you know, ways you're not supposed to talk when you at UNC, yeah. coming from Tennessee State. And my boy was like, Man, you can't be saying that, saying that, saying this. I'm like, oh shoot, I didn't even think it was just you know natural for me at that point. So that transition was no joke, but um just the you know, the people in my class. They were inspiration, motivation for me. And then, of course, the, like, the people above me had a lot of great mentors of students that were above me. Uh, I struggled with that wax in the tooth stuff in the very beginning. One of the seniors, he, he, Spencer Howard, he came over and he got me in the lab and he was like, this is how you got to do it. And he showed me all the ropes, you know? He just He just broke it down for me. I was like, so much better right after that. And then you had Antonio Braithwaite. I don't know if y'all know him. Surely do. Yeah,
0: yeah, of course.
2: Yeah, man. He, you know, he was always pediatrics. And there was a period when like my sophomore year, because my grades weren't all that great. You know, we we just weren't exposed to stuff at Tennessee State that people coming in from other colleges were. Um, you know, I had got to the point where I was like, man, I don't know, maybe I'm not gonna make it to the pediatrics. You know, my grades just aren't aren't good enough. Mm. Uh, Cause it was like you gotta have like three seven five and 4.0 in order to get in. So I was, you know, I was kind of frustrated. I was like, man, it's not gonna happen, you know. But he was like, no, nah, you you gotta keep you gotta keep pushing. And uh, and I was like, all right, whatever. I, I guess I will. But um, you know, once the clinical grades start kicking in, then my grades, you know, my grades went back up. But it was just, you know, that g- gross anatomy stuff like that, you know. People was coming from schools where they were actually dissecting bodies. At Tennessee State, it was like, hey, you know, we don't have the funds. So we're supposed to be dissecting this, but we don't have the funds. So this is what you're supposed to see. They'll just tell us. So we didn't get that experience, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: Like looking for the superior vena cava and all that. I ain't getting nothing like that, man. We'd be lucky to get an owl pellet. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So the, the transition was it wasn't easy, but, um, you know, with the people above me and people in my class, I was able to make it through.
0: So while you were in undergrad and transitioning to dental school, so what was that relationship with you and USNDA and then S&DA when you're going from undergrad to actual dental school? Like, were you still active in your DA chapter back at Tennessee State? Were yeah. you trying to bring that to UNC? Like, what did that transition le- le- oh, excuse me, look like as you transitioned into S N D A leadership?
2: Um, I mean, as a USNDA member and leader, whatever, it was just like try to just get people in college trying to get into dental school. You know, I didn't want to be the only one. I wanted to bring other people up. I was working with a dentist, so I had a couple of connections here and there. She had introduced me to a couple of the dentists around Nashville, um, I had stayed up at Meharry a lot. And honestly, that's where I was planning to go. Uh, but then when I got accepted to North Carolina, I was kind of like, man, I can't turn this down, you know? Yeah. Um, a lot of dentists from Meharry, they was like, no, it's it's not easy. And then you got to find your own patients. And North Carolina was like, we got patients for you. I was like, okay, that's, that right there just did it. Even though Meharry had that love, I was like, man, I, I, I felt bad for turning it down, but I kind of had to do what I had to do, you know? So speaking um, that why did you choose UNC well the pediatric dentist that I worked for she went to UNC and um they were saying UNC was like one of the best schools and it was kind of like I said it was hard to turn that down I had a mentor at the dental office that I worked for he was a hygienist and then he actually went to Meharry for dental school Eric Davis Mm -hmm. Uh, he moved out to to, uh, chapel hill And when he was moving out there, I was like, man, you know, I could go to UNC. He's there. He's kind of like a brother, you know, big brother figure for me. He looked out for me. I'll just take this chance. You know, it was scary. It was scary coming from a black college going to UNC. But, hey, God led me that way. And he opened the door and I had to go through it.
0: Yeah. So, at this point, Kamal serving on the national board for SNDA. I served on the national board for SNDA, and you are a, a SNDA national president. So let me ask you this: How did that role prepare you for your career within leadership within pediatric dentistry?
2: Um, as far as how yeah. it huh was that or did it prepare you in any way? It prepared me because it let me know that you know your your vision that you have is not always gonna be followed by somebody else. I know, mean, I had people on my board, cause so I was gung ho. You know, I was like, I'm, I'm, I need to get this USNDA. That's my big, biggest thing. And we're gonna get a USNDA chapter at every school in the nation, you know? And that's just me, you know? I'm, I'm a go getter. But then sometimes you get people on your board and they're like, man, that's just too much. You know, you gotta break it down, like do a little bit here and a little bit there. I like, no, no, we're going for it. I'm, I'm contacting every school. I was up at, during dental school up to two in the morning sending out emails to different schools just trying to get these organizations started um, because it was something I felt needed to be done. And like they say, if there's a will, there's a way. People going to get in your way. You just got to say, okay, and keep moving. So, Kamal, when you take over, just know everybody's not going to agree with you.
1: I've even seen that in my year being on the exec board. Now it's having a team. Everybody has a different opinion, and it's just about getting everybody on the same page and coming to a consensus. But uh, yeah, that's something definitely I'm I'm looking forward to. And I was same
2: thing with your office. When you get an office one day, you have people thinking one thing. They want to do this. They're not gonna agree with your your ideas. Mm -hmm. You just sometimes you gotta listen to it and then say thank you but we're going to go this way. Yeah. So. Oh, that's good.
0: That's good. So moving into that next level of leadership, as you were deciding going from dental school to your pediatric residency, did you ever consider an AGD resident or a GPR or going into private practice for a little bit for those who are going through those same decisions right now? What kind of advice would you give them?
2: <laughs> Man, my, my biggest thing is whatever you want to do, stick to it. Don't, don't quit until, until there's no option for you to go forward with what you want to do. Because like I said, man, my sophomore year in dental school, I was like, man, I'm going to just be a dentist. I'm going to just be a general dentist and see kids because you can do that. You know, um, I had kind of gave up on being a pediatric dentist and I didn't think I was going to get into residency. But it's funny, man, because God just works. He works and he makes it. He has a plan for you and he's going to make it happen because I sure didn't have the grades in the beginning. and I definitely didn't have no 375. I think I finished with a 3-1. But you know what? Somehow I became, uh, what was it? Uh, assistant coach at Chapel Hill High. Hmm. I didn't grow up in Chapel Hill. I don't even remember how I, I ended up becoming assistant coach over there. I just went over to the school one day and was watching the basketball team. I was like, man, Let me let me see if I can help out. You know, I'll just go over there and volunteer whenever I get a chance because I had to do something. I knew my grades wasn't going to get me into the residency. So I was SDA, I was SDA president, I was assistant coach. So I'm doing all these other things. And my grades aren't horrible, but um, you know, they definitely wasn't the best. Um and it just it just happened, you know, there's all like they say, there's A lot of ways to skin a cat and i got into residency because i i would say because of the fact that i did all these other things i stayed in the pediatric uh department i I really wanted to go to unc for um for my residency but um you know it was a three-year program compared to a two-year program we had to do the match and i'm like i don't know i got a phone call before the match from uh, San Antonio, they said, hey, we're, we're offering you a full position here. We'll pay you the, the top pay that we give our residents. It was only like two positions available for it. They said, you just got to let me know if, if you want to take it. And I was like, man, before match, I don't know where I might end up. <laughs> uh, UT San Antonio has a good program. They're offering me a guaranteed spot. Once again, I was like, I had to take it. You know I had no choice yeah. I'd open the door again and this so I'm the only one in the class who got accepted into residency before the match Wow I'm the one that had the lowest grade so I know they was looking at me like man how did he do that yeah. you know
1: more than just numbers uh, I think that that's just inspiring and every listener can can just really take something from that it's more than the numbers it's the passion that you have for it it's what are you doing outside of dental school? Um, how involved you are in the clinics? And so that's, that's just something I'm, I'm really picking from, uh, just, just listening to your story. Just how it's, don't get discouraged by a number or, or people saying this is the average um, for a student who gets accepted into this. Like if that's your goal, like you said, don't, get, don't let it go.
0: Yeah. That's a good point you bring up, Kamal, because at the end of the day, we're all we're all in dental school. Hmm. I mean, we can keep trying to categorize ourselves if we want to, but we are here to help people. So ultimately, what population do you want to help and how do you want to help them? Should be the bigger question instead of what's your GPA, different questions like that. I mean, we all got here, right? So let's put all the other stuff aside and let's figure out if you enjoy peds, how can we help you get into peds? If you enjoy perio, how can we help you get into perio? But man, you, you got definitely got God's hand on your life, man. It's like, he's making these decisions for you because if he leaves it up to you, who knows?
2: <laughs> it was crazy because I didn't even, you know, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up in the church at all. Like, I would try to sleep in so I didn't have to go to church, you know, when I was little. Yeah. Hopefully they don't wake me up and they'd be like, he sleeps, so we're not going to go, you know. But when you look back at life and you're just like, dude, God really worked this out. A lot of times you sit there and you're like, man, I worked hard for it. I did it. Yeah. Uh, no, it, <laughs> it, this story right here, yeah. that, that tells you it was God because I had a 3.1. Mm. You tell me I did it on my own. No, I didn't do it on my own god opened that door because it it was crazy and that's a lot of stuff in life like that man
0: i got one last question for you about your about your student life so now that we've shed a little light on your story if you could pinpoint maybe one of the most impactful moments you had while you were in dental school that prepared you either for your pediatric program or for business ownership what would you say
2: um for the residency I got a pretty good experience with pediatrics at UNC and that's because I always put myself in those positions to get as much, you know, experience as I could, you know, whether it's going to some of those off clinics, um, I finished my, my uh, requirements at at the school, at dental school, you know, getting all those things done. I think like in January. So after January it was free selling for me. I was like, pediatrics here, pediatrics there, you know, um, You just gotta network, man. Networking is key. And that's the thing, come on with you, like you being president, that's gonna help you. You can take advantage of this and network and network and network because everybody you meet can help you. So, um, sorry, got off, the, got off the question, I think. But um, as far as uh, getting, preparing me for residency, it was just a whole bunch of, you know, just opportunities to get the experience uh, from pediatric clinics that I could. Uh, one technique, which we call it the island technique. I can't remember which attending in the pedo program at UNC taught me it, but it was, you know, cutting, doing your pulp and just cutting the top part of the tooth um, to the point where, like, the, you cut an island and it just pops off and then you can go in and do your pulpotomy. I mean, I think that just has helped me through residency as well as through my, my practice. It just makes it go so much faster versus cutting into the pulp and then trying to go around and get it. It's so much easier doing the island prep. And that, that that like really pushed me forward a lot. <coughs> Excuse me. Describe
0: that. Teach us the island prep because I'm trying to learn these yeah. papotics, man. It, All
2: right. So you got your chamber. Basically you're just going to cut in a circle around where you think the line the outline of the chamber is. So you go in probably a couple millimeters. Once you hit that pulp, then you just go around in a circle. <laughs> you make like a little island. And eventually that little thing will just pop out of there and your mm-hmm. chamber is open.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then you go in there with your slow speed and just clean out the chamber.
1: Oh yeah. So you Come on. I have not. I'm not. I learned something today for sure.
2: <laughs> but it, it makes sense. I mean, that, yeah. that definitely helps with pediatrics. With pediatrics, you got to go fast. Yeah. And I remember before I learned that, it was like, I go in and just keep trying to figure out where the, the walls of the chamber are and like, do I go further? It's yeah. so much easier when you just go in and do that. Sure. That, that helped me a lot speeding into, the, into residency, get my speed up.
1: Oh, yeah. That actually ties into my next question, just about that transition into residency. um, The expectation is higher. You're seeing um, more patients and expected to um, perform um, faster and be more efficient. So how was that transition for you and how did you meet those, those higher demands after getting into residency?
2: You know, I was actually probably, I would say I was probably one of the faster ones once I got into residency because of the little tricks and stuff I had learned. Uh, as far as, you know, me compared to the residents that came from dental school as well, straight out of dental school versus, you know, the ones that went off to practice first, of course, they're going to be faster because they're used to seeing patients and whatnot. But um, it, it gave me an upper hand a little bit, I would say. But then I, I had to go and start doing some moonlight, And that really picked up my speed. So, you know, the clinical part was the fun part, man. And with pediatrics, it's just about making the kid feel good, making the parents feel good. Um, It was even years after I had finished residency, I would always have like some of the residents that would come through after and be like, yeah, we heard about Damon Ross, you know, and patients are still asking, hey, where is he at? And I had a couple of patients leave the residency, going from the school, came to see, to be with me at the practice, you know. Uh, So it's just really about how you make people feel, man.
1: Yeah, that's a huge part of pediatric dentistry, just the patient management aspect. And it definitely sounds like you have that that part um, in abundance. So how did you build those patient management skills? Uh, Did you just have it coming in, or how did you become so good at that?
2: Man, it's just having fun. You just got to have fun. And if you appreciate and love what you do, it, it just comes out, man. If you got a passion for it. You know, you get some people out there that just do it for the money. And you could tell. You could mm-hmm. tell who it is, you know? So.
1: For sure. Pretty sure. Uh, going back to the residency, what does like a typical schedule or week look like as a pediatric resident?
2: Residency is, uh, man, you're asking me something that was about 13 years ago. <laughs> I'm old, but i <laughs> It's crazy. I don't even feel like it's, it's crazy, but um, residency it was a lot of studying, a lot of studying and learning how to study. Mm-hmm. You know? but it was fun because you're learning about the stuff that you want to, to learn. you know we, we did a lot of reading articles, um, it was like article after article, and my thing is when, I, when I'm supposed to read, I try to read everything. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a skill when you read and when you're trying to learn, you don't have to read every word and understand every word. You just got to be able to find out where all the important information is. And after reading a whole bunch of articles, you start learning where to go to find the, the, the good information that you're looking for. Um, Cause you can read all the, you know, the, the data, how this happened, how this happened, how much they did on this and that, but it's, That You don't need that. You just need to kind of correlate the information that you're reading with how you're going to present it to the patient, you know. Uh, And, you know, me personally, I just I I try to break it down on a layman's term, you know, instead of being this doctor who talks with all these big words. And that's a good thing about pedo for me. You know, I I can do that. I don't have to sound all smart. I just got to be able to get get to the kid, you know. So that's my, my take on that.
1: Was in the schedule similar to dental school or how was it different um, from like dental school? You're taking classes, you're in clinic. Was it a similar type of setup? Just learning just about um, pediatric dentistry or was it different?
2: Um, I mean, we still pretty much worked pretty much eight to five. We had certain days, you know, some mornings we would be in there just going over. Um, rep- oh, what's it called? The articles, you know, it was just all articles, articles, articles. I forgot what we used to call it. But it was like, I think Wednesday morning, we used to just straight, nothing but articles. And had different teachers come in every hour. It's kind of like a conference almost. Yeah. Every hour, you have a different teacher or attending come in and teach a part of a, some curriculum. And then you'd have, you know, you'd have the afternoon or the whole morning, whichever it was, for a clinic. And then you go in there and you just see patients, um, you know, as they came in and, and you, you just take care of them. And then next day you can repeat the same thing. We did have a, I think about a month or so being on call. Um, that was, you know, at first you're like, okay, yeah, this is going to be cool. You know, till you yeah. get that call at two in the morning, you go in, fix something and then you get home from the hospital at four or five in the morning. You're supposed to wake up at five thirty or six, and you get another call. Mm. Like, man, I was just at the hospital, and that's that was rough. I remember that happened. I think it happened like I had three patients that night, man. And it was like, dude, I, I didn't get no sleep. That's a long night. It's a <laughs> long night, long night. But it was cool. Uh, it was, cool. It was I mean, cool.
1: Those long nights pay off, yeah, for sure. Oh. For the end of the program, did you know that you wanted to go straight into ownership or what were your options toward the end of your program?
2: I think I knew I was going to open my own practice before I even started. Hmm. So my last six months or so, I was I think I even got in trouble one time a little bit, like at least got like, hey, you need to kind of start focusing on on this residency, you know. Cause I was trying to get my practice up and running as soon as possible. As soon as I got out, I didn't want to go anytime without it, without some money coming in or, you know, having my practice. Cause I knew once I started my practice, it's going to take a while to build it. So it's like, I'm either be broke or I'm going to be working for somebody. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and open this practice and make it happen. So like I said, I opened my practice two weeks after residency.
1: Mm-hmm. That's why.
2: So, I yeah. was, I was working on stuff making phone calls to the bank and making phone calls to dental companies and whatnot. Just any chance I had in between patients.
1: Mm-hmm. And that was a De Novo practice or you bought someone's practice? That was
2: Built it from scratch.
1: From, from ground up.
2: Ground up. Okay. Designed yeah. it and everything. I was asking my, my uh, co-residents, like, hey, what you think of this design? You, you like this? Just asking everybody. And we were bouncing ideas off each other. You know, it was, it was cool.
1: Okay. Um, what did that process look like? Just building a practice from the ground up. Or what did you have to do to prepare to to start that de novo process?
2: To prepare for it. Yeah. With preparation, man. You just do it, and you you learn as you go, and you know that whole networking as as president, and just throughout my whole life, man. Um, I had people that I could talk to. I could call up and say, hey, what do I do in this case? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And that really helped.
1: And my last question before we move on from the resident to the, the practice, being in practice side is, was there a piece of advice uh, when you were starting your practice that you really held on to that was really impactful in, in starting your practice?
2: Uh, I would say probably make sure you get somebody good that knows insurance, but you really got to learn it yourself. And honestly, I've tried to surround myself with good people in the office. Um, and, you know, it, with that insurance stuff, I, I never wanted to really learn it, but uh, my, my insurance lady actually passed in October from COVID. So it just put me in a situation where I was like, man, now I have to learn this, because I don't ever want to be in a situation where I'm um, like in this situation where I didn't know anything. So it was like, she's gone. All the passwords, all this, this and that we don't have access to. Like, I got to I got to step this up and learn this right now. So I learned it. i um, still learning. Mm. Um. I'm bringing other people in to train them on how to do it. And I, as I keep learning, I teach them. So if somebody ever leaves, I'll, I'll be all right because I'll, I'll know the information. So my my advice would be, you know, make sure you know your own practice inside and out. You know, you can, you can have good people, but what if they leave? Or what if something happens, like in our case? Yeah. I mean, you you got to know it. It makes your life so much easier because then you got – you're trying to train somebody and they're like, well, it's too hard to do it this way. It's going to take too long or they're supposed to be doing the job and they're taking forever to do it. And you're like, no, nah, it doesn't take that long. Yeah. Like why is this five minute job taking you an hour? You know? Yeah. Cause if you know it, you know how to do it. And you go in there and show them and they're like, Oh shoot, I can't play with him. Cause he knows what he's talking about. He knows what, what I'm doing, you know? And for, for the longest I was just kind of going with what everybody said. And then when I got in there and found out, it's like, man, they've been lying to me all this time, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it's it's a learning experience. It's fun.
0: So Doc, let me ask you this: I mean, you you did a de novo. So how long did it take to go from just being open to a point where you can start paying yourself?
2: <laughs> That's a good question. Um, it's funny because my first office. I think the second week, by the time the second week came around, I was seeing a lot of patients. Man, It was just, I picked a great location. Uh, I was the only black pediatric dentist in the area. Well, there was me and another guy. He was a little further away, but he ended up retiring and it was just me. So I'm the only black pediatric dentist in San Antonio at the time. Um, So that went awesome, man. I just, we didn't collect. I didn't, the person I had hired didn't know what she was doing. So when I hired somebody else that came in, I think about a month later, she brought in like $40,000 the first two weeks. <laughs> I, bought a new car. Yeah. I bought a new car. I didn't have no, no bills, nothing, you know? Yeah. I was living in an apartment and I was like, dang, this is, this is awesome. You know, going from 14,000 a year as a resident to 40,000 in two weeks. I mean, I had, of course, worked probably about two months.
0: Um,
2: so that was awesome. But then I opened my, my, sec- my second office, and uh, the area was too small. Mm. So it took years before, it's like just now, at year number nine, just now starting to get populated out there, and it's starting to become, it's starting to move forward now. So, you know, I was working that office and my old office. I, sometimes I'll work the morning of one office, drive to the, the other office for the afternoon, but that was just losing me money. So then I decided, okay, I'm gonna just work a couple of days at the new office. But then that wasn't bringing me enough money. So I ended up hiring an associate and the associate, she was making more money than I was at my, my old office, yeah. my first office. So it was just a learning process, man having two offices as one dentist you know you get a associate they're doing good and next thing you know they end up going somewhere else you know they get a family or they decide they want to open their own practice i still haven't learned that yet you know i'm getting older i'm gonna have to find an associate and then figure out a way to just keep them give them a chance to possibly you know buy into the office Mm -hmm. i don't know that's a process i'll be learning shortly I'm, i'm sure Okay, so that's definitely something you're thinking about moving back into,
0: being an associate back into your office, moving to a partnership. A partnership? Yeah, at
2: some point, okay. definitely.
0: That's good. That's good. So for you to for, for your first practice, which would sound like it was a great success early on, what what strategies outside of just being you did you incorporate to help bring that such a high level of success?
2: Um man, I was going out to the, the schools. I had this program where, uh, with the elementary schools, I had like one major school that was like right behind my office and every period marking period, I would pick up the, all the kids, that got all A's perfect attendance and good behavior. Uh, I would pick them up in a limo and take them to the red lobster. Wow! and then next thing you know, that was on the news a couple of times. Um, And then word just got around, man. It got around. And, you know, I tried to do that at the the new office, but I guess the school system doesn't allow you to pick kids up and and all this stuff. I was like, man, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, You know, times change. So trying to figure out what to do for the the newer office, but that was one of the things I did. Um, And then just, you know, going out to the schools, doing all the different volunteer projects around the, the area. I even started coaching a basketball team at one point um, with some of the kids in the area from my first office. Uh, we had a little traveling basketball team. Went, we actually went to Florida for the Nationals and YBOA. You know, that was fun. You know, that was when I was single. <laughs> Can't do <laughs> that anymore, you know. But um, yeah, it, was, it was good times.
0: I think you bring up a really good point. I mean, in the back of my mind, when you said that, I thought to myself, his secret weapon is give. Join and coach a team. Uh, did the same thing in Chapel Hill. You did the same thing after you became a practicing dentist. And I think a lot of us, when we're in dental school, we get so many opportunities that sometimes we accept things that we generally don't really vibe with or really enjoy because we want things for the resume. But it seemed like you, everything you did while you were in school and shortly thereafter, you really, really enjoyed. And I think that passion for what you did really spilt over and really increased the velocity of your success.
2: Yeah, I think you're right on that. It, it definitely helped. Mm-hmm. It was fun mm-hmm. at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So do what you're passionate about, man. That's that's good. So what made you decide to finally sell the other practice? Like what was like the final straw you said, all right, I'm done. Call the broker.
2: <laughs> <laughs> man, my employees, his staff. The more people you had, the more headache you have. And um, I got married and started having kids. And it was like, you know, I want to, they're closer to my newer office, the house was. Mm -hmm. I was like, I need to spend more time at home. Um, You know, I'll be at one practice and the other practice, things just be going on. You're like, why? You got to stop seeing patients at four o'clock. Why is everybody leaving and clocking out at 530? Mm 30? You know, I started looking at the cameras. They was up in the front in the reception desk area, just chit-chatting, having a good old time. <laughs> and, uh, and then at 5 o'clock, they all head back to start cleaning up. I was like, man, this is terrible. Like, there's nobody over there that's stopping them from doing this. So it's like, if you're not there, they, they can do whatever they want. So you got to get a good office manager. Mm-hmm. I never had had a good office manager. Okay. Um, and that, so I've always just been kind of the manager. Um, I just hired one for the new office. And yeah, she'll see how that works out. I'm, I'm okay. keeping my fingers crossed. So you sold one and now you started another one? No, I actually had both of them at the same time. I had one, and then five years later, I got another one.
0: Okay. So did you keep the first one, or did you keep the second
2: one? I kept the first one. For, for a while, I kept, I had both of them. I kept the first one for a little while and then eventually I was like, you know what, I got to sell it. Okay. Because it was just too far from the house. It was like 45 minutes from the house compared to the new one, which was like 15 minutes. Okay. So, so it, in, it hurt.
0: Don't works. If you're looking for an associate, what's the perfect associate for you? If you had to hand pick and put it together yourself, what is the perfect partnership for you look like?
2: Uh, probably, you know, just somebody that wants to work and like to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't be in there being all picky. I got to use this. I got to use that. I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. You know, you just gotta be hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta want to work. Mm-hmm. Some people are like I want to I want to come at nine. I want to leave at one. Wow. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. What in the world? <laughs> <laughs> <Do> you want <laughs> or what not? You? Yeah.
0: You want a lunch break?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know.
0: So, if you can give some advice to the students who, or the new grads who are thinking about practice ownership, what kind of advice would you give them?
2: Man, somebody had me told me about this book called uh, Million Dollar Practice. Hmm. Definitely read that book. Uh, that's a good one. Um, but then, as far as advice, you got to get some people that you can call when you got questions. And when you need some help. Um, I have a guy now here in San Antonio, Dr. Steinhauer, William Steinhauer. I, I don't know how he does it, but every time I had a question, I would pick up the phone and call him and he would answer, yeah. like throughout the workday, not, not after hours. I'm like, man, I don't know if you see patients or not, but, you know, he's an older guy. and I'm like, He always answers, always answers. So I, I remember running into some situations like, "Oh man, I don't know what to do with this kid." Like I'm in a situation where it could go south real quick. Yeah. I told the parent, "Hold on one second. I went in there and called him, and he told me what to do. And I went in there and said what he said to say,
1: yeah.
2: and kind of like bought me time in order to get to you know. That's like when I first opened,
0: because
2: yeah. there was a lot of situations like, hey, "What do I do? What do I do?" and he just always had the answer. So find somebody, you got to have a mentor, you know, have a mentor and then have other people that you can just call and ask questions and talk about it.
0: That's good. That's good. I know myself as a first year dentist, I'll be, sometimes I got to take a step back and be like, yo, what just happened inside that operatory?
1: Right. <laughs> and right.
0: And All right, let me get my words together. Okay. Okay. Explain <laughs> this. And, you know, patients tend to take things good if you tend to be honest and open with them and have that good line of communication with them. So, you know. Right. I, I, I definitely understand what you're saying when you say that so for those who are definitely leaning towards practice ownership what, what kind of financial advice would you give them let's let's say they start their practice tomorrow what's the best piece of financial advice you can get them to stay above board
2: uh I would say don't hire too many people right away mm. um but that's, you know, you you live and you learn. Maybe I didn't hire enough people. I I don't know. You know, everybody's different, but um, just kind of put together a plan for your growth. You know, you should have it like, okay, I'm gonna schedule one column of patients for now. When I get about a month out where I'm full, then I start adding another column of patients. You know, be strategic with, with your plan and how you plan to grow to get to where you want to be. You know, set a goal from the beginning um, and then just start working towards it. You know, in the beginning, I was kind of like, I'm gonna just schedule everybody and- um, you Just grind it out. Yeah, just grind it out. And then there'd be days where I'm just super busy and then there are days where we didn't have barely anybody show up, mm. but I still got all this staff to pay for, mm. you know? So I think, you know, as I get older and into it longer, um, I start setting, setting goals. Like, okay, I'm scheduling two columns of patients right now. When it gets to a point where I need three columns and I know I need to hire another assistant, uh, we get to four columns, then I need to hire another hygienist and another assistant, you know? Um, but it has to be consistent. It can't be, you know, Monday I have four columns and then, Tuesday I have one column, like that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So just be strategic in in your planning.
0: So you say you've been in the game for 13 years now, right? Yep. So what do the next five to 10 look like for you? What's your vision?
2: Definitely I plan on um, getting an associate at some point, and then maybe open another office and do it the right way. Yes sir. And doing it the wrong way is rough. So I'd have to make sure my office manager that I'm training right now is ready. And I'm actually training two people to be office manager so that when I open that second office, I can say, hey, you go to this office and you'll be here at this office. And they both know it right now. That's good. So they don't really question it. Like why is, you know, my office manager, she doesn't really question why is the other guy around when we having some important conversations, you know? Or why am I asking that person for advice? Yeah, my 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 response to that is, you know, I'm just trying to train him to be ready to take over this office when you go to the new office. But in reality, it is I want to make sure I got two people knowing what to do in case I need to get rid of somebody.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: If you don't work out. I know my guy. He he'll, he'll work out.
0: One thing it sounds like for you over the time that I'm consistently getting from you is that you're always about people. I just ask you about what your vision is. When you're talking about associates, you're talking about training other people. You're forever pouring on other people. USNDA, SMD, and basketball teams, taking kids out, man. It, you, you're really inspirational, man. Me to uh-huh. you,
2: I, I really appreciate that, man. Appreciate it, man. man. I think that's been kind of a curse, too, a little bit, you know? Yeah you start doing things for others. And that's just how I am, man. It gets me in trouble sometimes with my wife. She's like, you're always doing this and I always want to do that. And then, you know, I stop doing it and then I don't feel like myself, you know? So now you just got to get back to, to giving, you know?
1: Definitely. Kind of touching on to that part of just the family life. Um, how have you been able to balance just the work-life balance being a, a practice owner?
2: <laughs> it's hard, man. It's super hard. I got a one and a three year old, and then eleven an year old stepson. And you know, he's, this one and three year old, they get me all the time. As soon as I get home, it's it's my second job. So it's you know, I try to put them to bed, and they be putting me to bed, man. <laughs> I wake up, man, I hope they sleep. <laughs> but uh, it, it's tiring, man. It's definitely tiring. So. There's no personal time really, but uh as they get older, I think you get more personal time. Um, I gotta give more time to my wife. I know that. We we try. It goes both ways. We try to. It's just we be so tired by the time we get the kids to bed. They then we want to go to bed sometime. Mm-hmm. It's rough. So
1: definitely. Do you have to like set boundaries as far as like when I leave the office, I'm not I'm not doing any office work or
2: you know, Antonio told me that one time. Antonio Brayway. He was like, "Yeah, hey, when I leave the office, I'm I'm done with work." And I always try to remember that, you know. So when I leave office, I'm I'm leaving it there. Have you been to Dr. Brayway's office? I went a long time ago, man. Before he before he opened his palace.
0: He at that palace, he got like twenty people working, making sure that the office stay running. So that's why he don't have to worry about nothing. He
2: take care of his people. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he's something else. That, that guy is special. That guy is special. <laughs> I, I, I always try to be like him, man, but yeah, it ain't no duplicating that. That dude is special. Yeah. He always gives me a lot of good advice, too. I always know I can call and talk to him about, you know, about the practice and what I need to do, and he'll, he'll set me straight. Like you said, man, I, I always, like, giving. So every time I, I've been allowing patients to do this and do that, or I'll help out, or I'll let my staff go do whatever they need to do. But you know, he a businessman, and he he always tells me, you know, you no, you can't do that. You, you got to stop that. And this is what you need to do, and I'm like, you're right, you're right. And so I get off the car like big headed, like I'm about to go rep shop, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's.
1: He's definitely he's definitely an inspiration for me. Yeah, definitely. Shout out to Dr. Braithwaite because he he's always giving great advice and and just giving as well and giving back. Um, my next question for you is just about gaining confidence as a dentist. Uh, I'm sure that throughout when you started to where you were now, um, just you you develop a, a greater confidence level. Um, how have you been able to do that, or can you give any advice on just building confidence as a dentist?
2: Building confidence as a dentist just comes with experience. Yeah. To be honest with you, you can't just, you can't go do pushups, you know, and get stronger and feel confident. It ain't not work like that in dentistry. You know, it just comes with working. The more you see kids or patients, the better you're going to get, you're going to run into situations. And then after you run into that situation, you know how to handle it the next time. And that's the confidence builder right there. It's like, you gotta, you gotta lose a lot. You you gotta take a lot of L's throughout the process and then you you just get better with time.
1: I think with with that, not being afraid to make a mistake. I think that's something that I've I've heard a lot from a lot of my mentors. Um, Just giving it your all and not being afraid to make mistakes because that happens. That happens in the practice of dentistry and and learning from that is, is the most important part. Um, my next question is, is, what has been one of the most rewarding experiences that you've had as a pediatric dentist in your career?
2: Man, just seeing kids grow up, man. Uh, kids that, they came in just acting a mess, man, acting a straight fool in your office. And then, you know, they get older and they reach out to you and like, man, you know, I really appreciate everything you did for me. And that that just that just is awesome, man. It's super awesome just seeing the kids. I had one kid, man. He said, "I'm gonna cut you, motherfucker." What? <laughs> he was like three years old and told me he gonna cut me. I was like, man, this boy hearing some stuff at home, you know. <laughs> but then he turned into this awesome patient, man, as he got older. And you know he apologized for it when he got older, but man. Yeah, that was the funniest, funniest day of my life, man. I was like, this little boy that told me he's gonna cut me and cuss me out.
1: Mm. Oh, wow. That all comes in a day.
2: <laughs> like little Tarzan. He had long hair. <laughs> he said, he cut me.
1: Uh, well, my, my last question um, for you before we start to close up the interview is this Is there any last uh, words that you would give um, dental students or or young dentists um, just starting their careers to be able to be as successful as they can be.
2: Man, like I said earlier, you know, don't quit. Just continue pushing forward. Don't, don't take the, the L's to heart because you're going to have some. Um, learn from them. Like they say, you get knocked down, stand back up. You know, get back up and keep moving. You're going to have some roadblocks. You're going to have people telling you can't do this. You can't do that. You know, I had somebody in, I had one of my attendings or yeah, my, my attending or whatever you want to call it in dental school. He's, he flat out told me, "It's like, you know what? You deserve an A, but I'm going to give you a B. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, oh, I don't even know what to say to that. But I, I bet you I'm going to get you some more work. That's going to be A And then you have to give me an A, you know? Like You got to have your own drive and your own dedication to be becoming great. So don't let anybody stop you from doing that. Keep pushing through. There's going to be times where you feel like you want to quit, feel like you're just not getting it, but don't give up.
0: So what are the words?
2: Oh, my God. (laughs) Thank y'all for joining us today on
0: the Morning Huddle. Again, thank you, Dr. Ross, for joining us for this fantastic conversation. We
2: appreciate your time. Man, I appreciate y'all inviting me to do this. I I really think y'all got something great going on. I love it. Yes, sir.